This is The Guardian. Today, it's been Vladimir Putin's obsession for decades. How the Russian leader miscalculated and gave NATO's faltering alliance new life. Russia's border with Finland goes for more than 800 miles. It's rugged, often freezing, sometimes tense, but not always. There's no kind of fences or anything, but it's patrolled regularly by Finnish border guards. And uh, many years ago now, but I, but I spent a day with them up there. And, you know, at that stage, there was quite a friendly relationship between the two countries' different sets of border guards. They would cross paths occasionally. But Finns know what the Russian army can do. They remember a brutal invasion that started in winter 1939. This is not a war, but the most ruthless aggression upon a peace-loving, hard-working and deeply religious people. Since the two countries went to war, Finns have tried to strike a balance. Taking security into their own hands training their population, teaching them to fight a much larger enemy, building vast networks of bunkers underground where civilian life can continue, even during war, and staying out of alliances like NATO for fear of provoking Russian retaliation. But these are tumultuous days in Europe. At this shooting range in Helsinki, they are honing their skills. The Russian border is less than two hours away. They've looked at the war in Ukraine and shuddered at the idea that it could happen here too. The old rules no longer apply. And this week, Finland scrapped decades of security policy. And Sweden, centuries of it. Our 200-year-long standing policy of military non-alignment has served Sweden well. But the issue at hand is whether military non-alignment will keep serving as well. Both countries have made it official. They want to join NATO. We have reached today an important decision in good cooperation between the government and the president of the republic. We hope that the parliament will confirm the decision to apply for NATO membership during the coming days. And it really does redraw the security map, the defence and security map of Northern Europe. It's a very, very big deal. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, two new applications to join NATO, the military alliance that's come roaring back to life. John Henley, you're The Guardian's Europe correspondent, and you've been covering Finland and Sweden's big announcements that they're seeking to join NATO. And I'm wondering, what does that mean in practice? How do you join NATO? What does that look like? Well, what you actually do to join NATO is you submit a formal application, in this case, to the NATO headquarters in Brussels. Then there is a kind of formal accession process, which should be reasonably rapid, um, except that the 
potential spanner in the works is that NATO accession requires the unanimous approval of all members. And there may be a problem in that respect. Indeed, one particular country is holding out and we will get there. But John, if you're joining this club, tell me about firstly, who's in it and what does it get you? What happens when you join NATO? Well, NATO was founded in 1949 by a dozen countries led by the US, including the UK and France at that stage. In the Pentagon in Washington, the North Atlantic Defense Committee, composed of the 12 Atlantic Pact nations, meets for the first time. We in the United States, gentlemen, insist that peace today can be chiefly assured through strength. It's expanded steadily over the years. Um, It was originally formed as a kind of defensive military alliance to counter the potential of Soviet-Russian post-war expansionism, essentially. Um, And pretty soon after it was formed... Soviet Union formed a kind of opposing alliance, the Warsaw Pact, uh, which included most of the countries and what was then the Eastern Bloc. And now, following the collapse of the Soviet Union and the fall of the Berlin Wall and all that in the late 1980s, early uh, 1990s, since then, quite a few of those former Warsaw Pact countries have joined NATO. A ceremony to mark Hungary's military coming of age. NATO's flag was lowered from the Dutch embassy, which has served as the country's liaison with the alliance. Hungarians are looking forward to the stability and security that their prime minister says membership of NATO will guarantee. To such an extent that it, that it now numbers 30 countries. So the US and 29 European countries. What it basically gets you, um, I mean, obviously, the, these countries share intelligence, they, they carry out kind of joint exercises, but the whole thing rests on what's absolutely critical is Article 5 of that treaty. Basically, Article 5 states that if one NATO country is attacked uh, militarily, then that shall be considered an attack on all NATO member states. Wow. And an attack on one is an attack on, on all of them. Exactly. And so it basically commits all, as they are at the moment, 30 NATO members uh, to come to the defense of any fellow member state that, that is attacked. And so as these new countries have been joining NATO, Sweden and Finland have been among the countries that have held off. To understand why, let's begin with Sweden. Traditionally, what's been their approach to their security? Okay, yes. I mean, it's it's good to start with Sweden because Sweden has been neutral, either neutral or militarily non-aligned for, for longer. I mean, for a very long time, in fact. Sweden hasn't, in fact, fought a war for more than 200 years. Uh, it's basically been neutral since 1812. And that was a status that it had to abandon when it joined the European Union, along with Finland in 1995. Both countries at that stage switched from kind of strict neutrality to military non-alignment. But Sweden is different from Finland, really, in its attitude to Russia and its traditional reluctance to join NATO. Um, I I think the difference you could 
maybe sum up as saying that Finland's reluctance to join NATO has been more pragmatic. Sweden's, I think you could say, has been more ideological. Sweden, since the Second World War, has pursued a foreign policy and a defence policy that's very much been about remaining militarily non-aligned, about promoting democracy around the rest of the world, about pursuing sort of uh, nuclear disarmament wherever possible. It, it kind of tried to play a mediating pro-democratic role. And I think basically NATO membership has been seen ever since then as incompatible with that goal. And what about Finland? Yeah, Finland's experience is, 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 is obviously very, very different. So, I mean, the first thing about to, to, to understand about Finland is, is the geography, essentially. I mean, Finland shares a more than 800-mile border with Russia, and it, it was ruled by Russia for more than a century. It only gained independence in, in 1917. And since then, during the Second World War, Finland's experience of what we call the Second World War was very, very different. Finland actually fought two extraordinary wars against Russia during the Second World War. And they were quite remarkable. And I mean, remarkable in many ways, really. I mean, they were basically outnumbered three to one, the Finnish army at the time. This was Helsinki, the peaceful capital of Finland. But Russia wanted some of Finland to complete the Soviet domination of the Baltic Sea. So comrade Stalin took a leaf from Hitler's book. He matched the Soviet army of 15 millions against Finland's 30,000. And they succeeded in inflicting losses on the Soviet troops that were five times heavier than the losses that they sustained. Wow, incredible. I mean, and this is a real part of the kind of Finnish national identity. And at the end of the Second World War, Finland signed an agreement with Russia. It was, it was forced to cede eventually about 10% of its territory along the, along the border to Russia. But it signed a treaty of kind of non-aggression and economic cooperation. Um, and it really remained under the Russian shadow. Obviously, it was crucial to Finland to stay on good terms with Russia and, and not to provoke Russia. It began to step out of that relationship when, like Sweden, it joined the EU in 1995. Um, but it obviously has seen, for sort of more than 70 years, basically seen joining NATO as a, a really unnecessary provocation and, uh, you know, and, and it would antagonize this, the kind of Russian bear on its frontier. And so, John, both of these countries have had a pretty significant change of heart, and that's been welcomed by NATO members, with the exception of one, Turkey, which is a big deal because NATO members have to unanimously agree to admit new members. What is Turkey's objection to welcoming Sweden and Finland into the alliance? Well, Turkey says its objection uh, to welcoming Finland and Sweden into NATO is to do with particularly Swedish support for Kurdish organizations. Scandinavian countries, unfortunately, are almost like a guest house to terror groups, PKK, and they can even find a place in their parliament, so we cannot have a positive perspective on this. Which 
Turkey considers to be terrorist organizations. So incidentally, does the EU and, and, and the US? I mean, there's, there's little question about that. But what, what's, what is at question is, is the degree of, of genuine support that, that, that Sweden gives to these groups. And also, Turkey objects to the fact that Sweden suspended arms exports to Turkey. Uh, that's been since 2019 because of Turkey's um, activities in Syria. Now, as you said, right, quite rightly said, you know, it requires unanimity. And in principle, Turkey could therefore veto the accession of Sweden and Finland into NATO. However, I think it's fair to say that most analysts at this stage, at least, seem to believe that that's not really what Turkey is doing um, at the moment. This is more to do with domestic politics um, and with um, Turkey's president Erdogan, uh, with his desire to kind of show himself to be a, a strong man leader ahead of elections next year. Mm. Most people seem to think that Turkey is pushing for concessions from fellow member states. Most people seem to think that, you know, Turkey, when when push really comes to shove, Turkey is not actually going to block the accession of these two Nordic nations to, to the alliance. John, one thing that strikes me is that obviously the war in Ukraine has been a decisive factor in the way that these countries think about their security. But also, from what you're saying, it seems like neither country is a stranger either to direct Russian aggression in the case of Finland or decades of concern about it in the case of Sweden. So why have they resisted joining NATO for so many decades until now? Well, it's certainly true that the level of concern has been mounting, certainly in Sweden. I mean, there have been, you know, sort of slightly worrying incidents of Russian military jets penetrating Swedish airspace. There have been um, equally alarming reports of Russian submarines in Swedish waters in the, in the Baltic. And certainly since 2014, which was when Russia annexed Crimea, both countries have started to reconsider the question a lot more seriously. Finland actually more seriously, I think, than Sweden. Finland has has long had what it what it called a a NATO option, um, which basically amounts to a kind of acceptance that Finland would very likely at one stage have to join NATO, and so that it wanted to be prepared as much as possible for that probability. Um, Sweden, a a little bit different, again, for those historical reasons that we just discussed. And in fact, from the early 2000s onwards, Sweden actually cut its defence budget quite considerably. It abandoned conscription. And it's only since 2014 that it has started to reinstate conscription and it's it's started to boost its defence budget again. So I think, you know, it's certainly been a growing possibility for the last kind of six or seven years, since 2014, in fact. And then, of course, since February 24, when Russia invaded Ukraine, I guess they've said, well, what's the point in waiting? Well, that's basically it. You know, at one fell swoop, that basically removed the argument that we have to remain on good terms with Russia. They are ready to attack a neighbouring country. 
if that would be the case that we join, well, my response would be that you caused this. Look at the mirror. I mean, that basically showed that Russia is a a thoroughly unreliable, if not dangerous, neighbor. And also, obviously, the absolute barbarity of what's been happening on the ground in Ukraine and the understanding, uh, yeah, that basically um, this, this, this could happen to us. And that the prime ministers of, uh, of both Finland and, and Sweden, Sanna Marin and uh, Magdalena Andersson, they held a joint press conference last month, at which they made it very clear um, that it was the, the 24th of February. Every, they said everything changed on the 24th of February. Um, and that, that that invasion, that Russian invasion of Ukraine, sparked a really fundamental rethink, I mean, a, a radical change of thinking. And how have the publics in these two countries received this incredible shift in attitudes on the part of their government? Like, what do they think of the fact that they're about to probably become NATO members? Well, actually, it it was rather the other way around. In fact, certainly in Finland, it was public opinion that pushed the government to realise that now really was the moment. Um, And public opinion in favour of NATO membership has been surging in in Finland since the 24th of February. Uh, Last week, it stood at at something at about 76%, and it's still rising. Um, And that's more than three times what it was before the invasion. Um, It's a little bit softer in Sweden, somewhere between 50 and 60%, uh, depending on the polls. But there's absolutely no question that uh, that public opinion has really swung behind NATO membership in both countries and played a really big role in pushing the politicians to to sort of start moving uh, on on the whole process. So, John, the war in Ukraine sounds like it's fundamentally shifted things for Sweden and Finland, but it also sounds like it's been a huge win for NATO. Can you take me back just a few years to some of the questions that were swirling around the alliance and its relevance in the world? Well, I mean, we don't have to look very far back. Very, very recently, uh, the French president Emmanuel Macron uh, described NATO as effectively brain dead. Macron said that the alliance was experiencing what he called brain death. Now, he said it was being undermined by a lack of coordination and by the unpredictability of US President Donald Trump. When Donald Trump was in the White House, uh, I'm sure everybody remembers the questions that there were there about America's continued loyalty to NATO. NATO members must finally contribute their fair share and meet their financial obligations. This is not fair to the people and taxpayers of the United States. NATO states have agreed that they will spend 2% uh, of their GDP on their national defense budgets. And there were you know, several uh, member states in Europe, particularly Germany, that were really nowhere, nowhere near that, that target. So yeah, there, uh, and there have been also political 
doubts about NATO in terms of you know, we, those were aired even you know very recently, for example, in France with um, Marine Le Pen running for the presidency. Uh, so yeah, I mean NATO has been um, has come under question in recent years, without a doubt. Um, and it, it, it is certainly the case that Russia's invasion of Ukraine has uh, has really galvanized the, the organization. Yeah. I mean, now it has these two large Nordic states that have been a bit careful in the past, you know, lining up eagerly to join. And I, I'm wondering, I understand what Sweden and, and Finland would get out of joining NATO, but what about the other way around? What are those two countries bringing to the alliance? Well, uh, they first and foremost plug a large gap um, in NATO's defences, which is that whole long border with Finland, Russia's border with Finland. In fact, you know, the accession of Finland alone basically doubles NATO's border with Russia. Wow. And Finland also is an extraordinary military force, in fact, for a country of its size, or at least for a population of its size, I should say. Uh, there's only 5.5 million people in, in Finland. Um, it never dropped conscription. Uh, it has more than 900,000 reservists it can call on. You know, it can it can kind of pull together a, a, a professional wartime force of 280,000 people. Um, it maintained its its level of, of defense spending at, at 2% or more, you know, while others, including Sweden, were, were were cutting theirs, there's an extraordinary degree of national, also civilian preparedness for war with Russia in Finland. Um, and I, I think you know it's worth stressing that it is this Russian threat that that has dictated that. You know, there's an extraordinary network of underground bunkers. Well, here's the perfect example of how Finland carries on as normal while also preparing for the very worst. This swimming pool was built underground. There's 15 metres of solid granite above us. And in less than a day, it can be drained and converted into a bomb shelter capable of accommodating nearly 4,000 people. There are there are sort of annual leafleting and information campaigns for the for the whole population as to you know this is what you should do in the in in the event of an attack. I mean, it's a country that has been preparing for the last seventy years for the possibility of an attack from the east. The other thing worth bearing in mind, of course, uh, of of what NATO will will get out of Finland and Sweden is kind of a lack of hassle in the sense that both countries are already very close NATO partners. If they decide to fly, this would be an historic moment. Their membership in NATO would increase our shared security, demonstrate that NATO's door is open and that aggression does not pay. They regularly exchange information um, with the, with the rest of the NATO members. They they go on joint military exercises. Um, you know, the, in in terms of sort of you know operational terms, the integration of, of of these two Nordic countries will be very smooth indeed. And Russia obviously can't be happy about this. But before we get into their reaction, I want to understand. How is NATO viewed by Russians and by Vladimir Putin? Like, just how central to Putin's worldview is the existence of this huge alliance with the Americans at the centre that's been creeping closer and closer to his border over the years? Well, Putin has obviously long 
uh, decried NATO's expansion and presented it as an existential threat to Russia. We won't move one inch towards the east, they told us in the 1990s. And what happened? They deceived us. There were five waves of NATO expansion, and now missile systems are appearing in Romania and Poland. And, you know, it's worth noting, obviously, that, uh, you know, in, in passing, as it were, that, you know, that the possible accession of Ukraine to NATO was one of the main reasons that Putin gave for, for launching his, his invasion. I mean, who knows what's in Vladimir Putin's mind? Um, he's wanted, um, you know, NATO troops to pull out of those countries that are closest to, to Russia or share borders with Russia. Um, I think also most, you know, analysts would say, NATO's expansion is a pretty handy pretext um, for Putin to, you know, p- pursue his own expansionist ambitions. Uh, I mean, I think the two kind of go hand in hand, really. Coming up, for years, Sweden and Finland feared Russia's reaction if they joined NATO. So, how has Vladimir Putin responded now that they've called his bluff? I'm Grace Dent and I am back for third helpings of Comfort Eating from The Guardian. Join me and more celebrity guests like Big Zoo, James May and Self-Esteem as we throw the cupboard doors wide open on the comfort foods that have seen them through. This is a niche sexual thing for people. (laughs) Northern women eating carbohydrates. (laughs) Comfort Eating returns on the 17th of May with new episodes released every Tuesday. Comfort Eating with Grace Dent is supported by Ocado. John, Vladimir Putin has spent decades trying to push NATO back from his borders. So how has Putin and the Russian government responded to the news that Sweden and Finland are trying to get into this alliance? Well, I mean, that's actually a really interesting question, because as soon as Finland and Sweden started to make noises about joining, Russia started to make threats. Russia has warned that the entry of Finland and Sweden into NATO would lead to a militarization of the Baltic region. The Russian deputy foreign minister said they would respond to any deployment of nuclear weapons near Russian borders. And, you know, we had the Kremlin spokesman, we've had defence ministers and sort of foreign ministers uh, lining up over the last couple of months uh, to, to basically say, look, you know, we will not take this lying down. Uh, this would completely change the balance of military power, particularly around the Baltic region. We would, would, would have to restore that military balance, including by potentially deploying nuclear missiles in Kaliningrad, which is this, this little Russian sort of exclave between Poland and Lithuania on the on the on the Baltic Sea you know basically saying this would be a huge mistake and it would have serious and dramatic consequences and in fact that's sort of turned into a bit of a damp squib at least it looks like and Vladimir Putin actually spelled it out this week, um, right after the Swedish Prime Minister confirmed that that Sweden was uh, w- was going to apply to join NATO. Uh, Putin actually said, "You know, this 
in as many words. Um, the, the fact of Finland and Sweden's accession to NATO doesn't really change anything. I mean, the fact of the matter is basically that Finland and Sweden became a lost cause for Moscow in 1995 when they joined the EU. Uh, you know, that clearly they were moving out of Russia's sphere of influence. And the mere fact of them joining NATO doesn't make any real difference on the ground. What would make a difference would be, you know, the, the deployment of kind of military hardware uh, on, on their territories. But beyond that, I mean, I think both the Finnish and Swedish governments have said that they expect some kind of Russian response, um, but that it's more likely to be in the order of kind of cyber attacks or, or kind of disinformation campaigns. I, I, I don't think anybody is expecting a kind of direct military response at the moment. John, the conclusion that seems hard to avoid here is that while many of us haven't really been thinking that much about NATO, Vladimir Putin has been obsessed with it and with trying to push it back. Like, it's a major motive for his decision to invade Ukraine, with all the troubles and risks that that's entailed for him and Russia. And yet, about 80 days into this war, what's happened is the opposite. NATO is relevant again. It's growing. It's adding new countries right on his border. It seems like he's made a catastrophic mistake here. He's strengthened the very thing that he wanted to destroy. That, that's absolutely right. Uh, and that really is the supreme irony um, amid the, the tragedy uh, of what's happening in Ukraine, uh, which is that, that, that Vladimir Putin cited the possibility of Ukraine joining NATO as one of the main reasons uh, for his invasion. And yet, uh, you know, the direct consequence uh, of Moscow's decision uh, to launch this brutal onslaught on, on its eastern neighbour um, has been just that, has been the expansion of NATO on Russia's border, uh, an 800-mile border with Finland, um, and the accession to NATO uh, of two very capable Northwest European powers. I mean, it, it's a case of having shot himself in the foot, really. John Henley, thanks so much. Thank you. That was The Guardian's Europe correspondent, John Henley. Thanks very much to him. You can read his coverage of Sweden and Finland's efforts to join NATO at theguardian.com. And that is it for today. This episode was produced by Tom Glasser. Sound design by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producers are Phil Maynard and Elizabeth Casson. We're back tomorrow. This is The Guardian.